0: for...
1: John Benjamin Hickey is a veteran of the stage and screen with a Tony Award performance as Felix Turner in The Normal Heart and his Emmy-nominated role as Sean Tolkien on The Big C. On stage, he's had leading roles in Cabaret, The Crucible, The Inheritance parts one and two, Six Degrees of Separation, and Love, Valor, Compassion, also starring in the latter's movie adaptation. His film appearances include The Ice Storm, The Bone Collector, Flags of Our Fathers, and Pitch Perfect. On television, he's had roles in Manhattan, Life with Julie Garland, Me and My Shadows, The Good Wife, and Marvel's Jessica Jones, amongst others. Set to make his Broadway directorial debut this spring in a revival of Neil Simon's Plaza Suite, starring Matthew Broderick and Sarah Jessica Parker, the production was unfortunately postponed due to COVID-19.
2: John Benjamin Hickey, welcome to the creative process.
3: Thank you very much. Happy to be here.
2: And so, this for you. I mean, we're we're living in interesting times, and I I want to mention and to, to thank you also for making the time for this because I understand that you had recently recovered from the coronavirus. Yes, I, I
3: did. I, yeah, I and i al- going on four four weeks. Of wow. The, uh, free now, and I was diagnosed my. Uh, results were positive, uh, came back positive on the 15th of March, so I spent a couple of weeks pretty brutally sick, but I was, um, I was never, uh, I, I spent a couple of weeks really sick, but I never got so sick that I needed to go to the hospital, so, you know, I
0: consider myself very fortunate.
2: Yes, and I also, and I'm thinking about, you know, your notable roles, the normal heart, and then, and also, you know, to remember, you know, Terrence McNally, um, I don't know yeah. if you wish to discuss that, but it's... Um,
3: sure, I'm ha- I'm, I mean, I'm, you know, heartbroken and devastated having lost Terrence, and especially in the way that we've lost him. Mm. But I, I'd love to talk about him, his life, because, and his art, because he meant so much to me.
2: Mm. Yeah, so... And you. so many of them. Yeah, and uh, I guess per- perhaps most notably um, and love, valor, and compassion... And dealing with, um, uh, not the same disease, but, um, just speak a bit about it, like your first collaboration with Terrence. Yeah. And,
0: yeah. It,
3: it's, it's interesting that you bring up the, um, understandable and inevitable correlation mm-hmm. parallel between that virus that we, that was a pandemic mm-hmm. that we, uh, suffered through and, um. Those of us lucky enough to have survived, seeing this happening now, it's, uh, it's surreal, you know, yeah. and, and the idea that we lost counts to um, this virus, you know, it really is, it's, it's impossible to kind of uh, process it, mm. since we're still so at the very beginning of it, uh, so it's hard to process the feeling. the the horrible, terrible irony of it all. And, you know, you'd have to talk to somebody uh, who's much smarter about the science of everything. Weirdly enough, I don't know, when I think about the AIDS crisis and that virus, Uh you know, there seemed to be very specific ways in which you contracted it. You, you, you—as as horrible of a virulent killer as it was—you know, you, 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 you had practices in place as a human being in the world. Writers who were writing plays that I was really attracted to were really addressing these issues. You know, as horrible as the disease was and is, I'm talking about the AIDS epidemic. You know, out of that profoundly horrible calamity, there was great art born, and that's what happens in times of great distress. You know. What uh, of the, the sweet of the uses of that adversity you know, great, great artist made I mean, Tony Kushner created the, one of the great, great masterworks of the 20th century out of that time and place, and Terrence created, uh, I think, an equally wonderful work in, in Love Valor, and Lips Together to Getty the part and, and Paula Vogel Craig Lucas, John Robin Bates, There were all of specifically gay writers, who were writing about what they were living for and losing their friends to, and, and out of that came these amazing plays, and listen, I, I'm thinking now, like, what will what will happen to us, you know, well, if the theater stays shut down for a while, it's only going to make people hungrier for it when it does come back, and people will create things that speak to this terrible, terrible time. Sure. i sorry, I don't need to get so elliptical about it.
0: No, but, but, you I know, think I, I'm
3: going back to your original question, which is to talk about Terrence and Love, Valor. And, you know, we can even get into the normal part as well. These yeah. were works. Um, Love, Valor was the, the, early, eight, the early 90s. Um, we were still living through the disease and dying. There was no, you know, there was people were still very, very much still dying from it. There were meds in place, and you could sustain your life, but there was no, there was no great kind of protocol that there are now, um, where it has become a very manageable illness, HIV,
1: yeah.
3: if you have the money to pay for it, sure. pay for those medicines. But he was, you know, he he wrote this play that was born. Fire that was born out of such terrible, terrible calamity. And it's this beautiful, absolutely heartwarming, and even sometimes very sentimental, I mean that in the best possible way, yeah. play about family and about oh. friendship and about mortality and about how all we have is each other. And um, and so, it, it, you know, this... This play, that was about such a terrible time and place, had such extraordinary joy in it, and that's how I remember Terrence. Is, you know, through it all, through all of the pain that he rode through, he had such tremendous, tremendous joy and such a tremendous sense of humor as well. Um, so when I look back at that time and, and that play, I, I think about, I think about how much happiness. It brought people to be able to laugh and cry through a play about what they were experiencing that was impossible to uh to deal with
2: yeah i think i think that's true and i think that yeah without without the humor um of course that makes the 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 deeper that the darker the pain as you say uh, deeper still because you're yeah, aware absolutely. of what you're you're aware of what you're losing um and I also think uh, uh, my, my good friend, also, he was on the French team who uh, discovered that AIDS was a virus. And he also just passed away, ironically, you know, a few weeks ago with all of this going on, another virus. So um, it's just, uh, it's just strange. Was it corona that got him? No, he, he died of old age because, you know, he was uh, uh, an esteemed doctor. And so he died of old age, but it was just so strange. and
0: uh, Yeah, yeah.
3: To see,
2: and then to yeah, see his patients who there who in, he helped... They're survive yeah. oh boy
3: yeah yeah there are, there are several articles you can read a couple of really good ones in the New York Times about mm-hmm. the, the real the, the survivors who were the warriors on the front lines of the mm-hmm. AIDS epidemic the guys who created ACT UP yeah. Larry Kramer you know and, and how they're and what they think about what's good how they feel about what's going on right now And
0: mm-hmm. you know
3: there's just a, a terrible heartbreaking irony that mm-hmm. here we are in the midst of another plague with the government in place that doesn't seem to um, know how to handle it, you know, there doesn't seem to be anything in place, uh, uh, you know, that helps us deal with it. If it were a military operation, we'd have all the money and all the arsenal that we would need at our disposal. But you know, this is something completely. This is a new kind of warfare, isn't it? Uh, yeah,
2: I wish they could divert some of the the billions or spent on. I mean, I understand how, to secure the country, but there's so, so, it's so high tech, yeah, and the things I mean, we need are masks and yeah. you know just yeah, the basics. I, mean,
3: I, I think that if there's anything that we God knows, God help us, if we don't learn from mm-hmm. this, you know, that we if we learn from this is that we have to have a, a federal plan in place
0: mm-hmm. for
3: when something like this strikes, um, because this lack of preparation is, um, well, it's not only deeply, deeply embarrassing, it's uh, it's deadly, it's deadly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, and you know, and I and just to go back to art, mm-hmm. when I think about what Terence did in the early 90s, and then you think about what Larry Kramer did, yeah. he wrote the normal heart. In, in, was it was in '83, I think it was '83 or '84, maybe even. I mean, it was he it wrote that play right yeah. at the very beginning of that crisis in New York. He wrote it as it was happening, um, so that that gives a, almost a whole new meaning, ripped from the headlines. Mm. I mean, that that play and stands the test of time as more than just an agitprop. It's this great work of art mm. because. As much as it's about that time, specifically that time and place, the very early 80s in New York, and a group of people who were um, disenfranchised and, you know, shouting from the rooftops to try and get help, it's, it, 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 it lasts as a great work of art the same way a Greek myth does, Cassandra. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it is about political disenfranchisement and, and a voice not being heard. And every human being, whether you live through the AIDS crisis or whether you're gay or straight or you, know, not, uh, or you did, don't know anything about the AIDS crisis, you can watch that play and understand because you relate to a human being whose voice is not being heard. Um, that's, I think that's what makes that a great play, too. You see that these plays live on and, and, and exist outside of the, the time and place in which they, they took place.
2: And sh- we should say for those who perhaps didn't have a chance to to see you performing in uh, your uh, Tony Award-winning performance, you played a kind of Larry Kramer type uh, f- figure. If you uh, I, yeah. I, yes, yeah, I actually played. I oh, sorry. Larry yes. yes. Oh, Yes, you're yes Joe
3: Mantello in the production uh, that I was in. Joe Mantello played the the conduit. The the the. the,
2: the Oh, excuse me, because I was in family. Paris, so I didn't get to see, but I had seen outtakes of oh, oh,
3: it. Oh, yeah, Joe Mantello brilliantly played Ned Weeks, who is Larry's voice in the play. Yes. And very, very much Larry. And uh, I played Felix Turner, mm-hmm. who is his partner, who's a fashion-style editor at the New York Times, who gets sick and dies in the course of the play.
0: Right. And
3: uh, he sort of becomes the face of the disease. Uh and and you know, that's another play that has profound and tremendous tragedy and heartbreak in it, but is also deeply, deeply funny at times and you know, made it such a such a it was it was really fun to be in that play. And a lot of when I say that to people they're like, Really? It was fun to be in the normal heart and I'm like, Yeah, it was because it's such a brilliant, brilliantly written play brilliant work of art and so listen when something is as well written as that it's always fun to be in whether it's Medea or whether it's you know a Neil Simon comedy.
2: right so we should speak about the Neil Simon and then I also want to you've been you have been a Roles like this, or in parts of productions like this, like The Big C, there's something that pulls you back to these um, darker subjects and finding the the lightness in them as well. But yes, let's t- speak about Neil Simon and the production that's been put on hold. We hope uh, very soon. Uh, <laughs> but tell us about I hope that. that we'll come back. Yes.
3: yes. I was doing, um, uh, I, I, I had the great good fortune to be working for the past two years on a play that I think is this generation's answer or or call to arms for young gay men, Mm. same way The Normal Heart was in the 80s and La Balor was in the 90s. Uh, It was Matthew Lopez's six-hour-long masterpiece of a play, Mm. The Inheritance, um, which is about the younger generation of gay men in New York who did not live through the AIDS crisis and the kind of bridge they build them and the older generations, the generation that was decimated, and what they can sort of of learn from each other. And uh, I was doing that uh, in in London, and it was such a big success that they brought it to Broadway, but I could only do a couple of months of the Broadway run, Mm -hmm. because some three years before that, I had uh, put together a reading of a wonderful Neil Simon comedy from 1968 called Plaza Suite one of his masterpieces and um, I did it with my friends Sarah Jessica Parker and Matthew Broderick and um, little did I know that they were kind of looking for something to do together they have been married
0: for many many years and of course have independent careers um, as
3: great actors and terrific stars and uh They'd kind of been poking around, and when we found this play, which is a play about marriage um, and relationships, uh, they just, uh, we all thought it was an incredibly perfect, wonderful fit for them. So we went to producers, and producers were very excited um, to do it with us, and um, it would have been my Broadway directorial debut. And we did a three-week tryout in Boston in... um, February of um, a few months ago, and then we're coming into New York, and the day of our first preview is the day they shut Broadway down due to the pandemic, Um, which was, you know, uh, that was a difficult day, but we knew it was very, very necessary that everything shut down, and uh, we all, you know, take shelter in place, and, and, um, and it was just, you know, when I think about our run in Boston. We did a run at the Emerson Colonial Theater, 1,700 seats, and every night was sold out. And To watch 1,700 people have such a collectively wonderful time at this joyous comedy, this joyous look at marriage and relationships that's filled with great humor and, again, terrific pain, as all great writing has, both light and dark in it. Um, And I think about where we were then, just one short month later, and one very long month later, where we are now, and I think about, oh, God, I hope we get a chance to do it again, and I hope we get to do it sooner rather than later, because I really feel like the world could, um, could use some Neil Simon right now, you know, yeah. just a chance to escape and come and assemble the way we love to congregate in a in a theater or with a live experience, and laugh, and just laugh our heads off hopefully laugh our masks off <laughs> Maybe that'll be the new impression laugh our masks off it was a, it was, it's been an extraordinary experience i
0: had a
3: team of unbelievable designers jane green on duck costumes john lee beatty on sets brian McDevitt on lights stop Lehrer on sound i mean these are the very very <laughs> top of the uh, uh heap as far as great designers go and it was a glorious um Physical production and those two stars, Matthew and Sarah Jessica, were just at the very, very top of their game and having the time of their lives. I think, I think both of them have been quoted as saying it's one of the most fun experiences they've ever had, and they were both, you know, delighted that they enjoyed working together as much as they did. Uh, so I hope, I hope we get a chance to see it again.
2: I, I hope so, too. I think that people are waiting for that, as you say, to be able, if they can, take their masks off. And it's interesting in terms of performances, because they've waited, uh, you know, this this long time to, I, I imagine, find a vehicle, and, it, and, and that particular uh, Plaza Suite is a chance for them to almost act three different well, three different roles, so three yeah. different times. Um, so yeah, it's packing Plaza, it all in. <laughs> yeah, for, for those who don't know, Plaza
3: Suite is Three different couples staying at different times at the same suite at the Plaza Hotel. So when we read it out loud for the first time, what was so striking and wonderful is it was it was six perfect parts for them. Three parts for Matthew, three parts for Sarah Jessica that fit them to a T. So you know it's very seldom that you find one part in a play that suits you and that you're you know chomping at the bit to be able to do. But these were these were three really really delicious parts for both actors, um, and and it, and it's a great throwback to a kind of theater where people came to the theater and to watch two great performers kind of get to play dress up. That's part of the fun of the play is the yeah. acting. You know, the curtain comes down on the first play, and then the curtain comes up, and there are two completely different people in different hair, different. Costumes, and so there's a there's a wonderful make believe quality to the whole thing that uh, that I think people are kind of hungry for. You know, we haven't seen Neil Simon on Broadway in a long time.
0: It seems amazing. We all know that he was,
3: you know, the most successful playwright of the 20th century. It it would be nice to have him back and to be able to celebrate him, his great artistry again.
2: Yeah, well, it's and and it's a great celebration of the city as well. Um, Oh, it is. And so you were on Sex and. Yeah, and you were on *Sex and the City*, so it's. Char- I don't know how many because t- you often collaborate with uh, some the number of people. People, the same people, a number of times. Have you uh, performed yeah. with? So you were in *Sex and the City*. Have you performed with Matthew Broderick before? I don't know. I had
3: never performed with Matthew. I think uh-huh. I've been in a movie with Matthew. Mm-hmm. Maybe one or two, but we never um, crossed paths in those movies. We each had different. we had different parts of the story, uh, but I had known them both for over 20 years and have known them through the course of their long and wonderful marriage and uh always admired them professionally so much and and i was on sex in the city but i had nothing to do with sarah on the show i don't i never saw her on set um so we we were it's not like the three of us were looking for something to do i kind of put this reading together and it went so well that we all three looked at each other afterwards and said, we should do this. We should do this together. I mean, it was a bigger leap for me to do it with them than it was for them to do it because this is my first Broadway directorial effort, <laughs> my yeah. Broadway directorial debut, and it's only the second play I've ever directed. So, uh, you know, I had a very steep learning curve, um, but I've enjoyed every minute of it. And, yes, you know, the, the longer you stick around in this business, The smaller and smaller the world gets. You know, you end up kind of bumping into the same ten people over...
1: John Benjamin Hickey proposes a few interesting points regarding the coronavirus, which was just beginning at the time of recording, as well as its comparisons to the HIV-AIDS crisis that occurred during his lifetime. In times of great distress, great art is made, When examining the AIDS crisis, shows that come immediately to mind are those such as rent, love, valor, compassion, and the normal heart, which all show both the hardship and the joy that can exist during the tragedy. It makes you think about the brighter times ahead when COVID-19 is over, and the art created through this is consumable by all. How will people respond to art about their own tragedies? How will we change society? Mr. Hickey discusses how all great writing holds both great humor and great tragedy. And I know that when looking over the past year, I have felt those things too. To be completely candid, there are many things that I think of that are painful from the last year having to leave my first year of college halfway through, losing one of my childhood pets, and going through another huge historical event every month. Those are all traumatic, but none of us have gone through them alone. On the other hand, there is so much good that has happened in my life since the beginning of the pandemic. For one, my family adopted a puppy in April, 2020. His name is Apollo, and he is the most dramatic, helpless, 75-pound baby of all time. For another, moving home in the middle of the semester meant that I got to spend a lot of time with my mom, who is a high school teacher, and my brother, who was a junior at the time, but is now a senior in high school. I'm pretty sure my mom and I watched every single Project Runway-type reality show that we could find, and then some. Great humor and great tragedy go hand in hand in a great story. And at the end of the day, this past year has been one great story.
0: I know
2: we must have some friends in common. I know, I think you know Doug Wright. I can't say his name, but Idemar Kobovi. Yeah, I just was speaking to him. He's yeah. taking part in. Um, yeah, because he. Um, directed some John que at tomorrow and, but and I'm sure there's others yes it's smaller and it's a funny thing it's just it's a little bit off topic but because in, in you know researching and pre- preparing for the, our, our conversation today I was looking you know at footage and reading and And so I needed, before I went to bed, I just needed, it was like your dramatic role. So I needed something light. So I put on some episodes of, um, some clips of Frasier. And then I did the research and I saw that your partner, and it was actually, I was looking at episodes and it was ones that he had written. I thought, well, this is. Oh yeah, Jeff was on, uh, my partner,
3: Jeffrey Richmond,
0: was on
3: Frasier for seven (laughs) to eight years uh, as a writer. Yeah. And it's just finished. his. 10-year-long run on Modern Family. He was on Modern Family after that. So he's had a very, he has a terrific track record when it comes to picking wonderful, iconic, half-hour comedies for television. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I, unfortunately I never got to be on Fray, but Boyz, I love that show.
2: Yeah, well I was just thinking in terms of, I mean this is a slightly off-topic, but you talk about Neil Simon as well, because there's an elegance to the humor. And, mm-hmm. um, and and modern family is in that lineage. But I'm just thinking about how our I mean I wonder because Fraser was a was a big hit, but the way our vocabulary or the way I, I don't I don't know, would that you know, be still be a big hit today or would we change? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mm-hmm. mean and you know, the
3: the my goodness, the the network television comedy has changed so much. Yeah. I mean it's changed. It's changed profoundly since Modern Family aired 11 years ago. It's a completely different landscape now.
0: Mm. Certainly different
3: landscape than it was however long ago, 25 years ago, when Frasier came on the air, um, or 20, however long ago it was.
0: Um,
3: Yeah, television in the the way we watch TV, the way we ingest our our, uh, stuff we watch is, is completely different now you know something at the end of the day it's always about good writing and so I think if Frazier came along now and it was the show that it was then which was just brilliant brilliant characters and brilliant writing I think it would find an audience I think you know I mean yeah you read stories about certain shows that were absolutely brilliant Mm. but never found an audience but but, you know most of the time when something's really really good people figure out a way to, to to watch it
0: and,
2: and just, I think you know
3: yeah. television. As soon as we're able to come go back to work, I mean, I think there's going to be, you know, a huge demand for more content on TV because of how, you know, sequestered we are.
2: Yeah, and I think that people are finding ways to be social. I don't, I don't want it to be. I think that us artists, maybe less artists who are in the theater, but us artists have always been able to go, you know, journeys to into the interior, right? But right. I don't yeah. want it to be a sequestered state that is not creative for no. people. So I'm, I'm, no, I'm exactly. yeah, I'm seeing, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm fortunate to be around a lot of young people at university. And, and I'm seeing that they're finding a lot of creative things to do. And, um, and oh, so that's, that's great to hear. And, and,
3: yeah, and I mean, I do. I, it's like what I was saying. I, you know, I, uh, it's good. It's, it's, it's who, who has that speech? And as you like it. Um, touchstone, uh, you know, sweet mm. of the uses of adversity. Oh, I yes. mean, it's it's through times like this, like you mentioned, the young people, you know, they they figure out ways to express themselves and to connect with their fellow human beings. I mean, that's what's so essential about the theater it, mm. is that it's the only thing left that is a that is a human scaled experience. You know, it's not a movie. It's not a 40 foot wide screen it's you sitting in an audience me sitting in an audience watching a person who's the same size as me you know we're all human scale and that conspiracy that exists between two live performers and a live audience is uh, irreplaceable you can't you can't you, you, you can't uh, you know, manufacture or reproduce that in some other format there's only one way that exists and I will, will be, I mean, can you imagine what it's like, what it will be like when we do come back mm-hmm. to the theater? It will be like an explosion.
2: Exactly. They'll realize it's like oxygen, you know, it's, whereas sometimes yeah, exactly. it's like, oh, I'm here to be seen at the theater. You know, sometimes people are, you, you know what I mean, be, yes. but it's like yeah. <laughs> when they've been deprived. Or you, or
3: an off, yeah, yeah, like, you know, if you go to the theater a lot, sometimes you're like, oh, you know, i got to <laughs> go to the theater again tonight. And then you end up seeing something that completely blows your you know, mind, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think people it, it'll be a it'll be extraordinary when we come back because even those who take it for granted, mm-hmm. and God knows I've been one of them, mm-hmm. you know, will will be like, oh, I will never, I will never complain about this theater again.
2: And you spoke about I want to speak about the, the the direct. You've had great directors, you have great collaborators, or actors, or the whole you know creative. Teams behind these productions, so I would like to uh, know about what your notes, what what you've been accumulating from the different directors, and then how you brought that. That's
0: a great question. Yeah,
3: I mean, it's a really great question because you know, frankly, I don't think I would have been so uh, (laughs) arrogant as to think I could have done this directing gig Mm. had I not been working with and watching and stealing from. Many great directors over the years. I mean, if I can say one thing with mm-hmm. the utmost uh, uh, confidence about what I've done in my career, is that it's that I've certainly had the great fortune of working with amazing directors. Mm-hmm. I mean, just with Stephen Daldry, wow,
0: uh, yeah.
3: Sam Mendes, Joe Mantello, Richard Ayer, Phillida Lloyd, uh, Scott Ellis. Uh, I mean, it just. It, my my list is long. i I really if I can brag about anything. It's yeah. about like, boy, i really I really got lucky with uh, with directors and i and I've been with most of those people at really extraordinary moments in their careers. Uh, Sam Mendes in his production of Cabaret, along with Rob Marshall yes. in New York in ninety eight uh, with Natasha Richardson and alan cumming and and Joe Mantello, who loved Valor Compassion, which was the beginning of Joe's Ordinary career as a director, and I really, I never, I never sat and watched those people thinking, "Oh, I'm going to do what they do someday." Never, it never ever occurred to me. But I do. You, you, hopefully, as an artist, your greatest asset is being a sponge.
0: You mm-hmm. know,
3: you're, you're the, the, and I think the thing that keeps you going is to be as sponge-like as possible and to just try to absorb what's amazing about a fellow artist, even when they they do something that you, that's different than what you do.
0: Um,
3: So I have been, I mean, if not literally taking notes, I've certainly unconsciously been taking notes uh, for many, many, many years. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I guess it's just a, you know, fancy way of saying I've been stealing from the best Mm -hmm. for a long time. And, uh, and I've thought about those people as I made this, you know, directorial uh, nascent journey, and uh, yeah, and then I feel like they're in my, they're on my shoulder, you know. Directors are on my shoulder.
2: And do you feel you'll be transitioning to, you know, dividing your time more equally, or is it is is the acting still the, the main thing for you that you that Yeah, you, the
3: acting's still the main thing. I, I I I've been offered things over the years as a director, and it never ever, it just wasn't the right fit and Uh the last thing I directed before this, uh, the only other thing I directed was this Teresa Rebeck play called Bad Dates, which Mm -hmm. is a wonderful one-person play that um, starred the remarkable Julie White, who is a great old friend of mine and collaborator. And and so it just was never, I would be off of things and I'd be like, I don't really know what that is, I don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. And then this came along and I felt like, oh, you know what, I don't know if I can pull it off, but I I see what this looks like. I see what this should be. Uh-huh. Um, so if, if this goes well, if we get it back up and running and it goes well and I have other opportunities, we'll, we'll just see. But uh-huh. acting is my first love, and it's where I'm most at home. And, uh, you know, I, I'm chomping at the bit to kind of get back on stage, especially with what we're going through
2: right now. And in terms of, I mean, you spoke of good writing, of course, you need that structure, you need those voices and the, the vision, but I think, and I don't know if people see it as this way, but when you're crafting a character as an actor, you're writing in the silences. Can you describe how, you know, the layers of, you know, putting flesh into those characters, the, the words on the page?
3: Yeah, Yeah. it's such a, uh, I was looking at your questions in the email and, <coughs> Again, it's a really, really great question, and I've always found that question so impossible to answer. I, I don't mean to. It's okay. Like you maybe if you focused like, no, I mean, on I, I, one I, I,
2: particular I, character, though, in that way, like yeah, how I mean, it formed.
3: Yeah, it's it's like it seems to. If, if you're in the right situation, and by that I mean if it's if you're if it's if it's a good part for you. And, it's a, and by a good part I mean a part that really challenges you that really mm. forces you to stretch as an artist and grow um, if it's a part that you understand that you mm. understand who this person is and what makes them tick or at least you have a, a real um, knee a craving to know what mm. makes them tick, you may not know exactly what makes them tick when you start out but you're dying to know, you know who they are and why they do what they do and then how you build that, that's the part that becomes ineffable and hard to answer. Yeah. If you just rehearse and when you're with a great director, you're not coming up with answers. You're just trying your best to kind of stay alive to the possibility of the moment. You know, and, and if the if you're alive on stage and in that moment and the writing is as great as Matthew Lopez's writing or Neil Simon's writing or certainly Terrence you know, it. that's how you build the character, mm. you know, because it's, you can, you can go home and do as much homework, mm. it, 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 you can do all the homework in the world, but it really it's all, it's all, has to be kind of thrown away in order to live and breathe the character on stage. There's something so, I
0: heard,
2: yeah. That it, no, it's okay. There's oh, yeah. something I heard you heard you say before. It was like, and I believe the strong that I can't quote you for but it was something about, I guess, also staying alive in the moment, but allowing your unconscious almost to do that work. Yeah. Or I don't know yeah, if I yeah, phrase you know, that. Yeah, it's
3: true. It's your, and, and even your conscious mind, as you're floating up, to sleep, I always think the best homework is when you're when you're lying in bed at night, you're staring at the ceiling, and you're just kind of. You know, you're seeing the character in different situations, or you're seeing yourself in the play, mm-hmm. and you're visualizing how you would like your imaging, you know, how you would like it to go.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, and you're really good in it, and you know you're not good yet because you're just at the beginning of rehearsals. And, but you just kind of think about who that person is and why they do what they do, and you, mm-hmm. know, you just kind of let your mind wander in and around and through the character. It's, And I am also going to say, you know, whenever. think about it and why it it works when it works you never really know and it's the same i always think about cooking do you cook
2: i don't well i can cook i write so i can kind of get to it that way yeah
3: yeah you you know what i'm talking about but i the thing because i don't write the thing that comes closest to me is cooking because like you can study and study and study a recipe and or you know how to make this one thing really well and some nights you do it and it just, everything just turns out perfectly and the wine came out at perfect temperature
0: uh-huh. and,
3: and everything came together and then you can do it again two nights later and everything can get screwed up and you're like, what was I doing? Yeah. You know, what, why did I have, why did everything go perfectly that night? Um, and you know, and, he, and tonight, it's I'm completely caught in my own head about it, and that's yeah. the same with is true, it's true in the in the theater, and I'm acting on film too. I mean, yeah. the biggest difference in acting on film and television and acting in, in the theater is that you're you have to live in that moment, and then you have to let it go. Because when you're finished with a day's work on a television show, you're not coming back to that. That's it. You just did it. So yeah. you you have to stop second-guessing yourself whereas in the theater you have a show on Tuesday night and you might have been a little wobbly you get to go back and do it again on Wednesday afternoon and Wednesday night so you have a chance to kind of completely live in one thing Hmm. um but yeah it's 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 hard to it's certainly hard to articulate and hard to define how you build a character, but there are but everybody's different. There are some people who love to work from the outside in, mm. or some people who love to just completely do all the internal work, mm. you know. And I, it's all whatever works for any given artist, you know. Who was it, Olivier? Like as soon as he found the costume, or he found the nose,
0: mm. like he
3: would you know make fake noses, and as soon as he built the right nose, he knew who the character was. I think yeah. that's amazing too.
2: Yeah, it's strange. So, but are you out? Or, or, if you can't, don't. It's hard. I think. I think when you're doing it right, it's hard to speak about it. I think probably if you're doing it wrong, you can. You know, it's like a. You exactly, you're.
0: Yeah, exactly. You're you should not yeah, do it. You are thinking about it. <laughs> you're, if you're thinking, thinking too about
3: much. It Too much. You're probably not doing it right. It's like some nights you do it, and you're just like, "Wow, that felt like it was ten minutes long, and I just was on cloud nine. What was I doing? The great, great." American actor George C. Scott, who mm. was the, in the original yeah, cast yeah. of had a great quote once. He said, Every actor worth their salt has one good show a week and spends those other seven shows wondering what they did that <laughs> made them so good that night. And nobody knows. Yeah. nobody knows. If you could figure that out, you know, and if you could bottle that, then of course everybody can do it.
2: And some, and also then speaking of some of the, the great actors and actresses you've worked with as well, um, how did how, and some that you've uh, worked with many times, and how of um, to speak of how what you love about the collaborative process and some of those. Uh,
3: um, yeah, I I've had again. I've been so fortunate to uh-huh. work with such great actors over the years. Um, Joe Mantello and the entire company of uh, of, of the Normal Heart, Nathan mm-hmm. Lane who I consider, you know, one of my great educators, like Mm -hmm. he was a real mentor to me, I mean, there's not a big age difference between us, Mm -hmm. but he was, he was such a professional, and he was so devoted to the character, and worked tirelessly to make the character and the show as good as it could possibly be, so Nathan was always the first one there in the morning. Nathan was always the last one to leave. Nathan never ever did it sitting down. Mm. He was always, always full steam ahead. And, and there was a great lesson in that for me to watch somebody's work ethic. It taught me my work ethic. Um, mm. I, uh, I mean, Laura Liddy is a mm. great friend. Artistic collaborator who I went to Juilliard with many many years ago. We were classmates, and I've done the Crucible on Broadway with her, and, and then of course I did four or five years of that television show, The Big C, with her. And um, watching her work is a, is an extraordinary thing, very educational because she doesn't waste her energy. She she really knows how to marshal her energy. Uh, on a television set and a, and a theater uh, in, in a rehearsal for a play. And, you know, so I, I you, you, again, the same way you steal from great directors, you steal from great actors. You watch that and you're like, oh, I see how she does that or I see how he does that. I want to figure out my way of doing it, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, you, you, you learn from the best, right? Isn't that a great thing? You learn from mm-hmm. the best.
2: But it's, it's so wonderful to have that. I, I'm, I'm I'm jealous of that kind of collaboration sometimes, although I get to collaborate in a different way on this project, but like painters or writers whatever, often it is the, you know almost yeah. alone in the room. Yeah, no, writers, I
3: know. Writers, I've i talked to my writer friends who are you know, in isolation now. And, and
2: they're now. like, I've been doing this all my life.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Quite a few of them have said to me, I'm kind of used to this. I mean, of course, yeah. this is an extraordinary circumstance. Yeah. But they kind of are like, yeah, i I'm, I know from this kind of uh, this kind of isolation. It's 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 harder for you know actor types. Mm-hmm. We're used to being in a big crowded room.
2: Yeah, and you're getting that feedback all the time. And I do before yeah. I know that we're coming to the end of the call. And this, you've been so generous to talk about such a uh, variety I really of work. Appreciate. But let, I do want to uh, uh, mention my favorite song and then why I like I love the questions that you ask people and the way you learn about them through this indirect way. And so it would, I would be um, I, I should ask you about your favorite song or why you formed that project.
3: I'm so happy that first of all, just thank you for having uh, listened to it and Mm -hmm. I haven't done it now in a couple of years and Andy and I keep talking about wanting to bring it back and Andy keeps threatening to do it himself he's like if you're not going to do it I'm going to do it because he loves the show so much Um, Andy Cohen who had his own radio station on Sirius XM uh, is one of my oldest friends
0: he he, he and
3: I have been friends for 25 years and when he, he got all of his tremendous success on television got this radio channel and he and I were stoned on the beach one day, I think, and he said, Hey, you wanna do a you ever thought about doing a radio show? And I was like, God, no, but it sure does sound like fun and we started talking and brainstorming and we came up with this because we both love music and we love popular music and so much. We love you know, we we just love talking about it. And so we came up with this idea and it's exactly as you said, it was, a, it was an opportunity to learn about people in an indirect way. So if you come to my show, you're not telling me about your children or your marriage or your job or your, you know, last heartbreak. Or You're, you're talking about, okay, what was your favorite, what was your wedding? So what was the song at your wedding? Huh. What is your favorite sad song? Why does that song make you sad? Um, and and so just by virtue of this thing we all share, which is, you know, how vital a thing music is in all of our lives, you kind of got to learn about people. And several of the uh, celebrities, if you call them that, uh, who were on the show, um, were friends of mine. And I learned things about them on the show that I was like, God, I didn't know that about you, and... Uh, it, so it was really, really great, um, and it, you know, one of the things that's hard about doing it uh, and continuing to do it is it's it requires work.
1: Yeah. You know,
3: it's very. I, I wanted to call the show my favorite blank, and I'd still like to do this show because you know when you ask the person what their favorite book or their favorite movie is, well, you immediately draw a blank. They're like mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't know what my favorite movie is. I have 30 of them. You mm-hmm. know. And it's the same thing with popular music, with mm. music as well. You can think of, you can have a different favorite song every other week. So it required some homework on the part of the participants. Um, but that was also the fun of it. it, it people, everybody who would come on the show would be like, you know, when I got these, this list of questions from you, I was cursing you. But then I ended up having so much fun going back through my Rolodex of mm. my love of music. and uh, and finding the songs that I like so much, you know, and playing them again. Uh, It was a really really great way. I thought it was kind of a wonderfully indirect way to talk about art as well.
2: Yeah, Um, and not their own projects. I think that that's great, that you learn about them through what they love and admire.
3: Yeah, totally, and I think people were, most people who came on said, I'm so happy that I'm not just on here talking about, you know, fill in the blank, talking talking about whatever movie they had that was coming out that they were on to plug and you know, mm-hmm. and they've been doing that a lot and uh, and it gave just them an opportunity to talk about their childhood, to talk about what their mom and dad's favorite music was and so it was really it's a really interesting format and I, I hope I get the opportunity to uh, to do it again. But I it to be in between my sure. my flourishing directing career, am I flourishing acting, acting
2: career? What I thought was but interesting that is that, and I didn't, I guess I, I knew that, but I, th- I think a lot about, like, visualization or whatever maybe for a role, but that that yeah, certain actors, particularly if they're play, play, playing a part for a long time, may have almost a, their own soundtrack, that they're helping them get into the feeling, and I, so yeah. I thought that was a good question. I there are
3: some people who, like, I know Diane Keaton is famous for having uh, earphones, you know, and in, in right before they say action, she's still listening to music and she builds a playlist yeah. for the character. I've heard this about her. I would love to have her on the show. Um, but for instance, I had the great actress Ellen Burstyn on and I was oh. like, what did you do? you listen to music? And she's like, no, I find music a distraction before I'm working. I want silence and I want to be in my own quiet space and mm-hmm. in a corner. You know, so it's, it's, everybody has different ways of using or not using music. Oral things to help them. But uh, music can be a great, um, what's the word, trigger. You know, a yeah. song can trigger something in you that, uh, that very few other things can. What did Noel Poward say? Um, never underestimate the potency of cheap music.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, popular music.
2: Yeah. Well, it's it, in the way that it can compress things, or, I mean, I don't, I'm very, um, I, I'm not very knowledgeable, I'm not very smart about music, but how even a chord change, this does something to Yeah, us. totally. And, totally. Uh, so that's, uh, it's, it's... Neither beautiful. am I,
3: that was the other thing, is I know I'm certainly not an authority on music, just kind of an enthusiast, and, yeah. oh my God, you know, the amount of homework I would have to do, because you'd get a really great guest on, you know. Yeah um ethan hawk whose taste in music is just so um specific and extraordinary and just artists i'd never heard of before and so you know the night before you're doing you're googling and youtubing i would be up till four o'clock in the morning just on youtube watching these different artists so mm-hmm. it's a great educational experience for me as well i learned a lot oh yeah
2: well, I think, and that's great to, to bring it around because this is an educational initiative as well as being a traveling exhibition. And so I do want to ask you into thinking, gosh, especially now we're thinking about the future. Um, but it's, it's as, you, as you addressed a bit earlier, It's uh, we're readdressing our models, what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what we can improve. Yeah. So as you think about education, technology, all, and all these things that are happening, the environment, and the, the, looking to the future and the kind of world we're leaving the next generation, I mean, what are the, some of the things you would like to improve? Would you like to change um, so that we might have a better tomorrow?
3: Well, I mean, I think it's, I, I you know, I believe the the idea of storytelling will survive, mm-hmm. will always survive. You know, the art of storytelling, which is what the theater is, and and in order, but in order to survive. To have that luxury you know i think we have to we we have to get a better relationship going with our planet don't
0: we yeah. we
3: have to something something is seriously out of balance you know something is seriously out of whack in uh, in our mother with our mother mm. with the earth and uh I don't know what those answers are. I don't know I know I could do more, you know. I, I know we could all we all could do more. But it's like conservation, you know, and, and how we how we preserve our most precious gifts in order to have art. In order to in order to make art. You know, I think I think it feels like the younger generation are more aware, I hope they are think, you know, my parents' generation, even my generation, there was no such thing as recycling when I was a kid. There was no such thing as a respect and a relationship with your natural environment. And and I think young people today are furious about what's being left them. You Mm -hmm. know, and I feel like that's that's going to um, influence and and make an entirely different generation of artists.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, they're
3: going to they're, they're going to have this global issue. You mm-hmm. know, to to uh, to address, which is which is how do we make this place last? You know, it's it's a, it's a matter of survival. I don't know. I'm kind of getting talking on my. No, I I, I do
2: know. I think that storytellers. I think that actors. Yes, I think if we can make that story personal, you know,
3: yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Then
2: we then we don't see it as something distant from ourselves. But yeah,
3: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And in the short term,
0: Mm. you
3: know, I it's almost like you know you read a lot now about how this sequestering and what we're doing and how we're all the most part, all of us are doing it, is a lot of people are seeing it as this great act of human connection that, you know, ironically, the, that by disconnecting, we're showing how connected we all are because we're, it's this giant act of solidarity. It's uh-huh. this global act of love to say, I'm going to try and protect my fellow man, you know, which is when we do come back in a public space and are able to share our experiences and our experience with this again it will be it will be like a like really in technicolor won't it it will be like an acid trip it will just be so uh, it will be such an alive feeling um, when we come back because we took we took that kind of thing for granted and it will be interesting to see how in moving forward how we don't take anything like that for granted
2: Oh, well, well, thank you so much, um, John Benjamin Hickey, for yeah, just the, the I, uh, your message for the future, for the deep seriousness which you take towards um, the planet and, and the arts, um, yeah. the depth of your insights and good humor, and for the characters you've crafted which take us to the dark places but also show us the way out. Thank you for adding thank your voice you. to the creative process. Thank
3: you so much. I really appreciate uh, being a part of this. It's an extraordinary thing you're doing, and I'm, I'm really grateful that you asked, so thank you, and stay well and healthy, and I'll see you in the theater
2: very soon. Yes, soon. I, I was planning to come to New York, and I know we've gone over, so thank you. I'm doing my own creative responses, just so we get off the before we go phone. I, I'm writing creative responses from our students, and I'm, I do a portrait as well, so I, I look at things, and I do a portrait. So, to, so hopefully I may be able to so present it to you that. when I'm next in New York, even. Um, yeah, but great, and, and if you're in the
3: if you have it put together send me the link for it if you don't mind
2: Sure Do you have of my course email Um no let me just note it yeah, I just take, have Emily you have
3: my number so just take my email address
2: Yeah
3: It's J it's J j b e n h
2: at gmail at gmail and if we you know when we um share the the, the podcast and the, the transcription of the interview if we like to do like a little kind of slideshow of some images do you have some like from your website or something that are just kind of shows I body don't, work I don't have a website but uh-huh. my name if
3: you, if you contact um the mm-hmm. person who is our liaison yeah. in my manager's office they have publicity shots. to me great that's a good for people thing to thing see like Yeah, exactly Yeah, they'll give they'll give
2: some and then I'll link through to um Whatever's best, whatever they said. And and, and they'll send um, your bio, your official short bio and stuff. So you yes,
3: can absolutely great. Okay,
2: thank you. Sorry for going over, but it's thank been a you. real pleasure. No worries
3: at all. I'm so happy to get to talk to you. And all the best and please stay healthy.
2: Yes, stay healthy too. Yes. All right. Okay. okay. Bye